Delve into a world of words with books and beyond. A podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Tzu underlined three points on the context game initiative. There was initiative. no better wine and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. A recent report found that China faces 300 million tons of food loss per year at the production, post-harvest, processing, and storage stages. That's even before the food meets the eye of the consumer. How can we stop this huge amount of food loss? And for moms and dads, it's increasingly difficult and stressful to parent in the digital world. Not only are children more comfortable with technology than adults, they're also getting better at hiding behind it. As a result, kids and teens can dive into reckless situations online or get addicted to video games, and parents aren't always equipped to save them. We discuss ways to prevent video game addiction for kids, tweens, and teens. For today's program, I'm joined by Ding Hung and Pearl in the studio. First on today's show. You probably know food waste is a global problem, but did you know that food loss is a huge part of it? A recent survey shows that China faces a food loss of 300 million tons a year during the production and circulation process. So we will talk about where does all the loss come from? Ding Hung, tell us how this is in the news right now. Yeah, so basically, according to a recent study by the Food and Nutrition Development Research Institute with the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, the average loss and waste rate of seven major food categories here in China, including like vegetables, fruits, Aquatic products, grains, meat, dairy, and eggs is more than 22% every year. And in terms of weight, we are talking about some 460 million tons here, including, like you suggested earlier, 300 million tons of loss in the production and circulation. And um, I guess according to a investigative report by the Xinhua News Agency, some extensive uh, sowing and really poor management in terms of the harvesting uh, harvesting process 
as well as, for example, in the in terms of the incomplete cold chain in the storage and the transportation processes, are really the main reasons for food loss. And I, and here, I guess we need to distinguish between food loss and food waste because food loss refers to the loss caused by human factors, including technological issues and equipment issues in the production, harvesting, storage, processing, and circulation areas, whereas food waste largely refers to the waste at the consumer end. Yes, that's a really good distinction. So basically, when we talk about food loss, then we are talking about even before the consumers have their hands on the food and disappeared, spoiled, gone, and that is a huge kind of waste when you think about it. So, Pearl, when you saw this piece of news, what did you think? Well, I think it's it goes with the lifestyle of、uh, many people in many countries. Because people, at most times, they are wasteful in how they use food, especially and other things, many other things that Mother Nature supplies us.、Um, and、uh, this was jarring to me, because if you look at、um, what has been published by the United Nations, it's estimated that one third of all food was lost or wasted worldwide as it moved where it is produced. To where it's eaten, to your tables or to your hands, where you buy it from shops and so on, and、um, even as more than eight hundred million people were undernourished in in many parts of the world, this was happening. And in addition to this,、uh, food loss and waste globally, it costs us a lot.、Uh, it's estimated that it costs about nine hundred and forty billion. U.S. dollars per year. So this is a huge problem that needs to be dealt with by governments around the world, as well as us human beings who consume these products. Yes, indeed. And as early as 2013, ever since China has launched this national level campaign of、uh, preventing food waste and. Some people would title it as the "clean plate" campaign, so to speak. And then we've discussed on the show many times about food waste. And yes, there's a lot that individuals can do in the sense that we can stop the waste. But today, with food lost, may I say the consumer or the individual is slightly off the hook because a lot of this. Loss occurs even before we pay for this stuff, before we get our hands on the food and the produce and all these products that we shop from, well, online or offline places. Yeah, so I guess indeed,、um, it is not so closely to the behavior of consumers because、um, what we are talking about today, in particular, are more related to the production process. But、um, yeah, I think from a moral sense, it is something that we as consumers, as individuals, need to care about as well because you know sometimes we tend to think, okay, food loss, so what? Does that make any difference? But the reality is, it is bad for the environment、mm. as well. Because according to a 2016 United Nations report, food loss and waste, including generated about eight percent of global greenhouse gas emission, and estimates indicated that if it were a country. 
Then food loss and waste will be representing the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind the United States and China. So the issue is very serious,、yeah. and definitely things needs to be done. Yes, and Pearl, you're definitely onto something when we look at food loss and the importance of this kind of discussion. Is that it is so much closely connected to hunger, to the fact that there are still millions of people who go to bed hungry every day, and on the other hand. When we talk about loss and waste, I think it's kind of a shameful and embarrassing situation when you think about this. And this is something that all over the world, and sometimes maybe a little bit surprisingly for some people, the more developed countries are actually more of a culprit when it comes to food waste as such. So. Drill us down with the facts and figures, if you may, Pearl. How big of an issue is food loss? It's a huge issue, as、uh, mentioned earlier. I mean, you look at what the United Nations has published with regards to this matter.、Uh, it's estimated that one third of food,、um, of all food that is, was lost with、uh, or wasted worldwide as it moved from. Where it's produced to where it's eaten, and even as more than eight hundred million people around the world、uh, were deemed to be undernourished, and I know that most of the people that are, are fall into this category are people in the global south, and、uh, many of those countries that are developing are found in the global south, in Africa, in Asia, and as well as in Latin America, and so in addition to food loss and waste、uh, globally, costs run up to like nine hundred and forty billion U.S. dollars per year. Due to this problem, and so we are facing a very serious problem that needs to、um, to be taken seriously by a lot of countries. As you mentioned earlier, that this food is lost before it even reaches consumers. It means that the handling of the food, the way、um, companies, if it's for instance at the factory shop, the way this food is handled, it's not according to or with care. Let's say let's say that it's not handled with care to ensure that nothing is wasted, and so there needs to be more vigilance in in in, in that area.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, another interesting statistic is that、um, uh, the number of people affected by hunger globally rose to as many as eight hundred and twenty eight rather eight hundred and twenty eight million in twenty twenty one, an increase of about forty six million since twenty twenty, and one hundred and fifty million. Since the outbreak of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and so this continues to paint the picture that this is a serious problem. Yes, and the pandemic has a huge role to play in it. By the sound of it, because since twenty fifteen, the numbers were relatively unchanged until COVID pandemic became a thing, and. For the millions of people who are affected by this, and just considering that food security is still a problem for many people around the world, and it just makes this kind of discussion all the more urgent and important. And also, I would like to share with you one stat here as well, and this is according to a 2021 Xinhua report: the world grain production at the time was about 2.8 billion tons a year, and that. Makes 
the loss of one percentage point of grain production, equivalent to the loss of 28 million tons of food. And guess what? According to Ma Youxiang, Vice Minister of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, said this could feed about 70 million people. And we gave you the facts and figures earlier on that the、mm-hmm. food loss percentage in this country is far more than one percent. So、mm-hmm. therefore, if that food could be recovered, if it could go to the mouths of people in need, then millions of people could benefit from it. So let's take a look into the details of how is food lost during this quite lengthy process of production, harvesting, storage, circulation, as such. Yeah. So first of all, I think we need to pay attention to the problem occurring with the、uh, with the sowing process because here in the case of China, a local agricultural official in the northern Chinese city of Tianjin once found through his、um, field research that that have done locally that the normal seed usage is somewhere between. Thirty and fifty kilograms per mu, and by the way, one mu is equal to some six hundred and sixty-seven square meters. But some farmers in Tianjin, according to this researcher, sow very, very extensively with a sowing amount of as much as one hundred kilograms per mu. And I guess a lot of problem occurred with the harvest as well because it is really common for wheat seeds to be blown into the field, and our harvest machine may also create a lot of loss. And this situation can easily cause wheat to like mold and really affect those later storages. And according to a, I guess I once read a story regarding a local potato farmer in southern China. According to this person, the loss rate of mechanical harvest of potatoes is about five percent. While in actuality, the loss rate of manual harvest can be as high as fifteen percent. So that's pretty shocking. So if you harvest using hands, that triples the loss rate of doing it by the machine, and that is a huge amount when you think about it, isn't it? And also, it's quite interesting. You mentioned earlier, Ding Hong, about so if you plant too many seeds too densely in a fixed tract of land, then that's really bad for harvesting. I'm not somebody who works in agriculture. Obviously, I don't know that much about it, but、um, this is apparently one of a common problem, and it's a little bit mind-boggling because every seed costs money. So. If you're planting too many within this fixed amount of land, then it's not churning out the harvest. Then yes, it's waste and it's waste in money as well. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe the pressure comes from when people don't have enough land, so they feel or think that they need to plant more seeds. But I think it also has to do with education. If people are well educated about how to. Soil crops and also crop rotation is very important because then it makes sure that your soil is productive. So you don't have to force things that do not work and say so that you waste a lot of、uh, fresh produce through the process of sowing and、uh, you you also waste a lot of、uh, seeds. So I think a lot of education, especially I think for 
up and coming farmers, maybe that's where the problem is. Because if you are um, a veteran in the industry, you should know what works and what doesn't work. And so for those who are still, you know, emerging in the industry, Mm -hmm. in, in the agriculture industry, they need to learn a bit more about how to handle crops and how to handle harvesting and as well as transferring those harvested crops to um, meals and so on wherever they are destined for yeah and also to add to the point of during the production phase a lot of food loss can occur for example in the animal husbandry fisheries and aquaculture areas natural diseases Mm -hmm. pests you know these are issues that could really affect the results of a farmer's hard work uh, over the year and also one more thing that i suppose is quite easy for most people to relate to that is when you fail to judge the market because we know for farmers and you know either for grain or for animal husbandry or whatnot, it takes time to grow the crop, to raise the farmed animal as such. And when it hits the market, there is a time lag. And what if this thing is no longer popular? What if the channels of sales have been disrupted? And then, especially if it's a perishable good, then food loss is quite easily created that way as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I very much agree because um, a reasonable judgment in terms of the market supply and demand, it also requires some professional knowledge and expertise. And yeah, and apart from the production phase, I mean, during the storage and transportation process, it is also a very professional thing to do because um, sometimes really due to a lack of, say, professional knowledge and equipment support, uh, vegetables, fruits, and the grains could be easily lost in the storage process mm. as well. Yeah, because some of the grain enterprises, they continue to operate some outdated storage facilities or temperature control facilities. And there are also cases of inadequate ventilation. These can all cause cause problems like mold and insect infestations. So more education, more education. This is something that definitely needs to be stressed. I suppose the lack of a lot of investment also produces this kind of unfavorable result because a lot of it is about, this is the part that I'm super surprised actually because as a Chinese city person, we're all enjoying uh, fast deliveries and you can get your ice cream delivered to your doorstep really speedily in a hot summer day. And I used to assume that, oh, now in the 21st century, China must enjoy top-notch temperature control controlled logistics. Just look at Shunfeng and Yundai and all these different companies that we use all the time. But in fact, no, we don't. Well, I guess small companies do not have funding for such, you know, sophisticated refrigeration systems and other equipment that is necessary to ensure that the fresh produce is stored uh, in the best way. And also small farmers may not have the best equipment to be able to handle the their products that they produce on their farms properly to ensure that they get to their destination in the best way. So 
you are talking to a very important issue of resources and financing is one of the major problem that fa- that uh, many farmers and people in the industry in the agriculture industry face when trying to ensure that you know their products get to the market and so if there's investment in those areas investment from funders as well as the government providing uh, necessary aid to people that cannot afford to get the best equipment, then I think we may try to address the problem. Yes, and these are the situations that are extremely humbling for someone who doesn't work in the industry as an outside observer. As we were doing research for this subject, we found that... um, Some experts say that uh, if you look at the high loss rate of fruits and vegetables in China, it is closely related to the low penetration rate of refrigerated transportation. And it is understood that refrigerated transportation rate in developed countries is generally over 80%, while in China, it is currently only about 30%. And this 30% apparently is what we've experienced. And I used to think it's really good, but it just, with this kind of um, study, you sort of put things into perspective. And then when you look at some of the smaller uh, farmers or people in the industry who are trying to make a buck, and then all they can do with this refrigerated logistics is put some ice cubes in a truck and how long will that last right so Mm. yeah uh, pearl you raise a really good point that you know there needs to be more financing to the people who want to engage in this kind of business but the problem is when it's really small businesses or individual farms and then it is difficult for them to receive capital and funding in that sense and Yes, when you look at these big delivery companies, we think they're big because they're visible and they are consumer recognizable brands, so to speak, and they play a role in the lives of city people in that sense. But when you look at the overall picture, look at all these um, farms and individual businesses that we don't know names of, they play a bigger role in the overall economy. And you see that, well, there is still a lot of catching up to do if they want to expand the business, if they want to make logistics better for their produce and the products that they're selling. Yes, and in previous shows, we've discussed processing and packaging. This part of the chain is actually, I mean, it deserves its own show by the sound of it. Although, you know, not the most interesting topic uh off the top of the mind of people, but this is also, you know, a very specialized area that a lot of food loss occurs on the way. But guys, we've laid down the map in a way showing people, oh, these are the problems. How close are we to solving them? Well, I think uh, at least on the part of the Chinese government, the government has already making a lot of progress in terms of the curbing food loss and food waste because in recent years, under government guidelines and policy incentives, China has actually constructed a lot of, say, high-standard farmlands to improve the level of 
uh, standardization and promoting, the, say, the construction of refrigeration preservation facilities and really strengthen the construction of those storage and circulation facilities, etc., etc. For example, I can give one example regarding the eastern Chinese province of Shandong, which is a major grain producer here in China. Over there, there is a particular grain storage site called Sino Grain. It is equipped with some 4,500 high-definition cameras and 280,000 temperature sensors to ensure that the stock is really in the best condition. And apart from this particular example, there are many, many other examples. In addition to the points that have just been made, I think another way of saving、uh, food is to give it to the needy, because there is a situation here、um, in South Africa in the dairy dairy、uh, industry where farmers, when they have like、um, lots of milk,、yeah. then they they spill that milk rather than give it to the needy, and so I think that should be. Directed, or there should be like、um, incentives for farmers who have access products that they can give those to the needy or donate it to the needy. And as we've read some of or heard some of the stats earlier, a lot of people are struggling for food, especially with the developments that are happening right now around the world. A lot of food is not reaching the people that need it. So if、uh, The farmer, the agricultural industry in in the different countries, have food that they can spare for like、uh, people that are in desperate situations. Maybe that can help also with、uh, saving food. Yeah, I mean earlier, Heyang, you made some comparison between say developed countries and China. I guess one thing I need to point out is actually in developing countries. Most food losses occur during the production and the transportation process. However, it's not saying that、um, uh, developed countries are perfect because,、uh, oh, in、no. the case of developed countries, they have more serious problem regarding food waste on the on the consumers' table. Yes, absolutely, and、uh, more waste actually occurs in the household when it、yeah. comes to food waste in developed countries. And seriously, and when people have food in abundance, they tend to have this thing in their mind that、yeah. you know,、uh, I take a bite of one apple and then toss it away. They take it for granted. Exactly. And that should be fixed. You're listening to Roundtable. We'll be back talking about the prevention of online video game addiction. D-Dive, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Pearl and Ding Hung in the studio. Coming up. 
parents have a hard time catching up to their kids' online savviness. Now, some gamers under the age of 18 have found a way around restrictions to playing video games. We discuss the prevention of online video game addiction, especially for younger people. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. When you're there and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review. It will help other folks find the show. And another way to get in contact with us is to send us a voice memo or an email or an audio clip. That's more preferred, as you can tell, to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. We answer your questions in a special segment called Roundtable's Heart to Heart. And now, let's move on to the next topic discussion today. China has launched a so-called strictest ever prevention system to curb video game addiction among minors since the summer of 2021. A key part of it is a restriction on playing time. Unsurprisingly, some gamers under 18 have found ways to circumvent the restrictions by simply renting somebody else's account. And experts now are saying we need to strengthen the monitor system to prevent such actions. Well, since August 2021, children have been banned from gaming more than three hours a week. So tell us what's going on now. Yeah, so really the background information is really regarding this very tough uh, regulation targeting juvenile online gaming by the Chinese authority. And I think um, according to the figures I have gathered, it's worked somehow because a 2022 report showed that somehow one year after the introduction of these new rules and new restriction regulations, the total gaming time on the part of juveniles and minors have actually in a pretty significant manner decreased with more than 70% of minors controlling their set to be controlling their weekly gaming time within three hours. So, however, that being said, a recent report by this Beijing-based newspaper Legal Daily says that since 2021, the online gaming timing of underage People have, um, although it has uh, decreased, but there are still many cases where minors rent and borrow accounts to play games. And this has really led to the emergence of a new yet gray industry regarding renting and selling these gaming accounts to youngsters to help them escape from the regulatory limits. So that's a potential problem. What I'm trying to say is what the steps that China has taken to clamp down on uh, excessive use of in- of the internet by minors has actually become a, a something that other countries are looking up to or are trying to follow closely to ensure that maybe there, there is something that China has done right that other countries can pick up. I've heard discussions, uh, especially in the U.S. right now, there are discussions around how to to protect minors from uh, harmful content online, especially. And uh, 
what China has done is uh, is an example that is being looked at. But even though they may not maybe come out to say it out loud that they are taking uh, a model from China, but uh, what I've seen is that people are saying if it works in China, then uh, why can't we employ this same method of restricting uh, the time that kids spend online, as well as you know ensuring that uh, minors who are of a certain age do not um, gain access to content or sites or or whatever that is harmful mm. to them. So I think um, we should look to what China has done, even though they are also vigilant in ensuring that they are continuing to make sure that there are steps taken to tighten what is already there, as we've heard uh, that there are positive steps, according to the, the 2022 report, um, in developing protections for minors. But uh, yes, parents still feel more needs to be done because of uh, some of the cases that we've seen uh, where mothers have uh, caught their kids, their minor kids, uh, having access to their cell phones and uh, going on to games for hours and also flouting the rules, finding ways around the rules that are there where kids are now able to rent um, accounts from other people. Mm. How do we clamp down on that? And that is a very important development that I think would shed some lights on other um, ways of tightening the rules so that younger kids do not stay online for many hours and forget about, you know, being active or doing some homework or housework so i think uh, there's a lot of uh, unexpected yeah. turn yeah, online to offline a lot of kids become lazy and they sit in front of uh, their computer screens or yeah. cell phone screens and just get uh, caught up in the in their games that they're yeah. playing or watching videos and you know recording themselves and posting online mm. and i feel that kids need to get go outside do some exercises and also spend more time doing uh, their chores indoors. What a brilliant idea. One thing I never understood of the parents out there, obviously not a parent myself, is that why don't train your kid into the best housekeeper ever? Why do you put them so preciously, um, you know, almost like deliver them on a pillow? You know, what's the point? Well, see... Yeah, I just don't get parents, you know, get them involved, get their little hands dirty and uh, start cooking for mama and stuff like that. So, yeah, am I going too far? Okay, don't send in letters, please, parents. You know, that's just for discussion. Okay, and then when we talk about these issues that um, families are facing right now, and I understand the urgency because a lot of the times when parents realize that something has gone wrong, it's when the grades have slipped. And then that's the alarm ringing, and therefore we need to do something about it, and they often attribute it to, oh, maybe this kid is playing video games too long, too often, or whatnot. But if you're following the rules, then it's only three hours of use. And if not, then maybe the problem is it is maybe a little bit easy. It's like child's play for a young person to circumvent these so-called platform parental controls. One piece of news I saw this morning was that one kid 
uh, maybe a teenager. The age wasn't specified in the reporting. Basically, this guy he went renting this other person's account to circumvent the video、mm-hmm. game rules, and he was tricked and possibly verbally coerced into paying up, and then he was swindled of. Forty-nine thousand Chinese yuan, and that's the amount of many months of salary for some people. And then he he siphoned the money from his grandma's account using her smartphone. So, in a way, I feel it's very difficult for adults and parents to arts to outsmart the kid in this sense because. They're the one who are using the technology. They know how to utilize it to the utmost, and you're just playing catch up. And I'm not surprised that、um, the parents are falling behind in that sense. Yeah, so that's indeed a big worry. I agree that parents and the grandparents are really just playing the catch up, and it seems like there is always a a gap between. The technological know-how on the part of these youngsters and the elderly generation, but I think、uh, what is equally worrying is really, like I suggested earlier, this emergence of this gray industry. Because obviously, you know, these kids, these、uh, middle school students, they can. They can rent, you know. They can play a very popular online game, for example, by renting accounts through these. Of legally registered online shopping platforms. I'm not sure what exactly are the platforms we're talking about here, but obviously on these platforms, those sellers, those vendors, don't really confirm whether or not their clients are adults. So that's a problem. As long as these uh, these uh, teenagers can get access to their parents' ID information. They fill in, and then they can get access to an account. And more often than not, you know, the ID information of their parents are no secret to these kids because they need to give these information、yeah. to their school teachers, right? Sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Well, that information isn't so classified. Let's yes, just put、yes. it、it's、that not, way. It's not. It's not. It's not family secret. Yeah, yeah, and、um, when you look at what's been done so far,、um, there's the real name registration. There's you know the complicated multiple verification logins. There's also this talk of facial recognition, which can be a bit controversial for some people. What do you think is working and what's not working here, Pearl? Um, what's not working is that adults are not doing their jobs. Because if you look at、um, some of the sellers, they do allow kids to buy、um, products that are, they're not supposed to buy or have access to content that they're not supposed to have content to. I mean, if you're looking at the online shopping platforms, they have pop-up notices that say sellers are prohibited from selling、um, certain commodities to minors, and some sellers. Are required to remind consumers that this is not or this should not be sold to people under this age group. But others, they actually 
do not pay that any mind because to them they're looking at the dollar signs or the the rmb yeah. signs <laughs> yes. in this case and so they want money and they will not ask for your id and so if adults are behaving in that way what does that say about kids about minors then it means that they learn this unscrupulous behavior from adults so if uh, we as grown-ups do our work and monitor what kids do and um, not allow them access to products or content that they should not have access to then i think that's half the battle won the government should also come in and enforce the rules and regulations that are in place uh, but you also mentioned uh, something very important about um you use the word training kids. I would say educating <laughs> okay. children from a, a very young age to know what's good and what's bad. Oh, is that what I was getting at? To, That's far better. <laughs> <laughs> to also know what's right and what's wrong. If your kid knows that they shouldn't be in certain sites, then they won't go to those sites. Yes, I know other kids are just rebellious, but if you teach your children at from a very young age how to determine what is wrong and what is right and you keep that instill that in them then that will help guide them throughout their life yeah that's a very good point and i think that's what all parents want to do but a lot fail on the way and let's face it as kids growing up you kind of hmm. it's not like um maybe dabbling your toes on that site forbidden is completely unlawful sometimes but uh if you are a kid with judgment then you know you don't go back or or whatnot and also a lot of people have been talking about if kids can circumvent the monitoring system mm -hmm. then if it might be easier to develop video game addiction or those kids who are so swept up in that world then it's just that much harder to get away from it and do you have some thoughts about this tough nut to crack basically oh yeah it's sorry it's very hard it's really difficult yeah indeed because um uh, I mean, apart from this debate regarding how to regulate the kids' behavior in terms of online or video gaming, there are many so-called experts. Actually, they claim themselves as experts, but actually they represent the interests of these uh, gaming industries, I, I think. They sometimes even suggest, okay, certain degree of kids' access to gaming is intellectually good for their for the development of their brains their communication skills etc etc so uh the a very unfortunate reality is when there is a market there is when there is a need there is a market and talking about market i think there is also this the existence of this very strange and weird business model called esports hotels mm -hmm. yes like on the surface they i was surprised by that yeah you were you I haven't was. been on roundtable regularly and you're behind the curve come on <laughs> <laughs> apparently this is really popular among young people is and it? yeah so wow. basically you just check in 
and you play video games. And then the hotel has fast internet, all the necessary amenities, and you just go into gaming heaven, yeah. not for kids or preteens, okay? Or, or teens. But apparently, it's been found that kids yeah. Yeah. You're find a way supposed- to get in, yeah. or whoever is managing those establishments allow minors to go in. Yeah, right? yeah. For example, in the eastern Chinese province of Jiangsu, local authorities once found that a particular esports hotel uh, locally received more than three hundred and eighty. Underage people within four months in the year 2021. Well, in some hotels, they they are morally questionable because they are playing a kind of a hide and a catch game mm-hmm. with the regulators. Like they have installed these uh, walkie-talkie <laughs> inside their hotel rooms. So when, for example, the local government, I guess the local public security department, uh, conduct a regulatory check. They use these walkie-talkies to inform these kids to go away, to leave the room. Why so, not use a smartphone or just give a quick... Oh, probably what? Okay, th- I'm going down the wrong path. <laughs> Apologies. But um, this reminds me of when we were growing up as those born in the 1980s or 1990s. Remember when internet cafes were a thing? And then they weren't supposed to accommodate underage visitors, but guess what? You know, that was part of our memory of growing up for yes. for some people, right? But uh, the content we were allowed to access was far different from what <laughs> kids are having access to now when you go to a computer lab or a hotel <laughs> such as this one, right? The content is... Whatever you allow in your internet country, then they have access to. So, yeah, but also it depends on, uh, let's say, some platforms like the video streaming platforms and gaming platforms, they all have parental control mode or use mode. And then if you are logged in legitimately as a young person, underage, then you're not supposed to have access to certain material and you'll be kicked out nicely um how is that ever nice um once it runs over three hours on a regular day so i mean i'm, I'm looking at games i'm thinking uh, all we ever played on like on the computer in a in a cafe an internet cafe was solitaire or minesweep or <laughs> what other games i think those are, were the main games that we had access to but of course, if you're a gamer, then you will have more sophisticated games. But also just super long, lengthy playing time. I think that's the one that really bothers um, parents and individual. Well, parents and uh, it's just not good for the health, the benefits of a young person. Who... Yeah, games today are more engaging. So oh, yes. that makes it that mm. you can be in front of a computer for like hours days even yeah whereas if i'm playing solitaire i'm like okay i'm not winning let me go (laughs) after (laughs) maybe 30 minutes yeah i'm gonna ask a really difficult question gonna throw it at uh gonna throw it to ding hong so you know the thing about playing video games especially a really good one is that slow drip of dopamine and in reality, in real life, 
not many things compared to that. And I've spoken to a few of my friends who were previously gamers, and now they're grown-ups. Some of them have a mortgage to pay for, so therefore they've evolved into, is it a good or bad thing, regular human beings. Anyhow, so, well, when I talk to them, the feedback I got from them is that it's always one day when you realize that what have I done with my life? Days in a basement or, I mean, a dark room and just playing video games and throwing your life away as life just passes by like that. And then it's the day when you realize what you've done with life or what you've not done with life. And then you realize, I need to change this. I can't live in a video game. I need to be a functioning person in this society. Mm. That's how they sort of turn the page. And this is the really difficult question. That is, how do you wake somebody up when they are so immersed, mesmerized in that world? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to wake somebody up in reality. You know, <laughs> let me be honest. It's really difficult to wake somebody up. It has to be coming from within this person itself, whether within her or within him. Um, it's It has to come from a sudden change of his or her fate or destiny, something really dramatic occurs in his or her life, I think. Yeah, so that's that, indeed, I, I agree. I acknowledge that's a very, very difficult question. But um, yeah, but as a society, there are still many things that regulators and parents, educators can jointly put forward. There are some joint efforts like a better supervision by these uh, gaming platforms, better improvement of um technologies including facial recognition even though like you suggested earlier it might be controversial sometimes and basically in multiple verifications like uh, if we go back to this discussion about how to better prevent these kids from renting these gaming accounts right some people suggest that we can adopt a combination of ID number plus mobile phone number plus SMS verification model or bank card number plus mobile phone number plus SMS verification model to ensure the reliability of gamer users' identity information. Um, yeah, maybe these are possible solutions, but these are just uh, technical solutions. But fundamentally, it's really difficult to wake somebody up when this person is so immersed into the world of gaming. And also what parents are really worried about is the kids are only going to be in junior high school, high school for this amount of years. It's almost like if you let those years pass by without studying really hard and the opportunity sort of just goes with the wind so to speak and um and they're really worried they want to fix the problem as early as possible and also maybe this is just like any other health issue that is prevention is more important than let's wait until the ailment kicks in yeah and that might be something we can circle back to what Pearl suggested earlier. That is, you know, setting your kids 
internet usage habits right, for example? And are you on the phone all the time? Are you playing the video games all the time? Well, maybe some cool parents do. Well, not not cool or not, but you know.、Um, <laughs> and I was reading all kinds of suggestions from people online with about this issue, and somebody said if you found that your kid is spending a lot of time on a particular game, then you should get into the game too. And if you beat your kid in the game, maybe that's like some kind of personal. Well, maybe that's some kind of bragging rights. Who knows?、Um, but basically, you're in it together with the kid. And even if you want to say stop this, you're you can only come back playing after you've improved your grades or whatever rewards you can put in front of your kid. At least don't just shut them down immediately, because we've all been there as kids, as teenagers, right? If the communication channel is just Shut down with parents, then you know young people don't come back to you and、mm. and and tell you the worries and stuff. And when、yeah. in fact parents should probably try their best to to keep that communication open. What do you think, Pearl? I mean, the system of give and take would encourage that if you. Encourage your kid to, or you send some ground rules and say you can only play for so many hours or for an hour or two, and if you do that, then you can have another maybe another treat on the side, which is different from being in front of a computer. I think that would encourage young people or minors to maybe get used to that structure of、um, limiting themselves. Yeah, I mean earlier we we spoke about、um, how to encourage people not to stay, even grownups, not to stay for a long time in front of computers playing games, and、uh, how difficult that is. I think maybe、uh, relatives or friends, the role that they can play is to show this friend or this particular person, this gamer. That there are other things that they can do that are more productive to their life. Maybe if you keep showing them that, they will eventually get the point. Because yes, it is true that it's a mindset thing. If you don't change your mindset, you will not get out of、uh, being this gamer who is immersed in gaming for hours and hours. But if you have responsibilities and you know that there are other things out there for you, then you will know when to limit yourself and leave that life, or maybe play for a few hours and maybe handle other responsibilities that you have. I think that will help to wane people off wasting, wasting in in in,、mm. <laughs> in air quotes, wasting a lot of time in front of computers playing games.、Mm. Considering the huge number. Of people involved in this, you can possibly understand why this is an important issue for the country, as China has roughly 150 million internet users aged between six and 19, accounting for nearly 16 percent of the country's internet users. And we're talking about more than 60 percent of underaged internet users. They say that they frequently play games online, and mobile gaming makes up fifty-six percent of what they do in gaming. So these are some facts just to keep in mind. You're listening to Roundtable, and that brings us to the end of today's Roundtable. Thank you so much, Ding Hong, 
and Pearl for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time. <laughs>